the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Welcome to our show on this Saturday, February the 3rd, 2024. I want to thank our sponsor, FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. My friends, we've got a packed show today, so let me tell you real quick who they are, and we'll jump to our first guest. First of all, we've got Randy Clark, who is the Breitbart reporter at the border. He's going to be giving us an update of what is happening at the border this past week. We've got... uh, Former Congressman Kiko Canseco, you're going to want to hear this interview because he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, the Hispanic vote in an election year, in this election year in particular with the border and, and the economy and everything else that's going on. Then we've got my good friend, Mr. Mark Morgan, who is uh, the former uh, Customs and Border Protection Commissioner. He's going to be giving us an update of what is happening in Washington, D.C. with the discussions regarding our uh, and the, the border bill. And our final guest, and you're really going to want to hear this one, is Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies, my good friend, who is going to tell us all about what is happening with the involvement of the United Nations in uh, in the migrant crisis. So, my friends, hang on to your seats. Welcome to the show. Let's go to our first guest. Thank you for jo- joining us. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Randy Clark, with the uh, with Breitbart, uh, the esteemed good uh, uh, reporters that they are. And he's just finished writing an article about uh, the situation in Eagle Pass, which we have all been reading and watching, my friends. And I wanted to get him on to chat with us and tell us about that article and what the heck is going on on the Mexican side. So um, talk to us, Randy. What is going on? Well, so there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot to unpack with this situation. I think all eyes are going to be on it soon. Uh, we know we've got a convoy coming into town of folks that are very supportive of, of closing this border down and what law enforcement is trying to get done here. Uh, but we kind of got to re- rewind the clock. Uh, we know what December was like. Uh, this is my hometown. My family's been here for generations. And so this place has just gone crazy as of late. We had a big rush in September, another one in December that saw almost 5,000 people rushing across that river and into the United States almost per day. Uh, that's when you really get a, a lot of attention. Earlier in September, it was 3,000 a day. And we saw Elon Musk come, and that's when you start getting a more robust media presence. And that's when you see something happen. Actions will take place in Mexico, and the, and it'll slow down. And then two months later, like December, uh, we saw the whole thing start over, but in a much more extreme fashion. And until you've seen that firsthand, uh, it's hard to imagine how you cope with that. We saw the, the images in December where thousands of people are staged in the Shelby Park area waiting to get moved, thousands. And it takes forever for the Border Patrol to get buses, enough buses to get them out. Uh, so that's where we were in December. End of December, Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, Alejandro Mayorca, sit down with the President of Mexico, AMLO, and a deal for something is reached. <laughs> and the next thing you know, before Congress can get here to look at it, when the Speaker of the House came, it is crickets on the border. They established checkpoints in Mexico. They started hitting the landings that I frequent with some colleagues that uh, go, go over there with me to see what's happening in Mexico. It's void of migrants right now. It is, you don't see a whole lot in transit, and what's happening in the shelters is 
folks that have CDP1 appointments that are not going to go to that river. So we're getting a few people coming in, but it is a handful and a drop in the bucket compared to December. And it has been that since that meeting in Mexico shortly thereafter. So we saw the Speaker of the House put something out saying, look, this is where it, what it was. And we know the Biden administration did something with Mexico to make this go away, just to stop the imagery from being seen anymore. <clears throat> That's typical of what happens. Anytime this administration gets involved and tries to slow migrant traffic down, there's a purpose and a reason, and it has nothing to do with slowing it down for the benefit of the United States or for national security. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, 10, 11 days later, the state seizes the park. And that's another story. You know, why wasn't the park seized in December? Why was it seized in, in January? And what was the purpose of that seizure to kick the border toll out? And I think that might be, you know, a political, let's just keep the issue going because it's slowing down and we can't keep the, the focus on that ball. Uh, but it does nothing for our community because these folks here, they deal with it every single day and they're kind of tired of politics. And, you know, this is probably the slowest time we may have all year. We don't know what the deal was and we don't know how long Mexico will keep keeping these bodies back, but it may not last long. But if it does, we need to know what we're going to give in return for that because they're still coming in other parts. Uh, it's not as busy. The apprehensions are getting close to 6,000 a day nationwide from a high of 14,000 in December. So what did we trade off? We know what AMLO asked for a week after that meeting. He asked for $20 billion. He wants some sanctions lifted against Venezuela and Cuba. And, uh, you know, that's kind of scary because what did we already give him to get him to act and now he wants more. So it could be more appointments for Mexican nationals for CDP1 at the seven ports of entry that do that. We don't know. Uh, and I don't suppose that anybody's going to tell us. But I think the whole game going on in Eagle Pass right now, it is a huge distraction. When we should be focused on Washington, D.C. right now and this horrible deal that folks are sitting down and discussing. Because that is going to, to, to create legislation that makes this at some level or another, seem like the norm. And every piece of legislation, as you know, that has anything to do with uh, immigration reform or border security, there's a good and there's a bad. The, you know, the bad part about unfettered illegal immigration is the part that usually sticks around. And the good part about putting some levels of control on it is rock full of holes and we'll see some, some continuation of the same. That'll be the first thing that's thrown out of the legislation. Yes, we have seen in the past how whenever... Mexico and the United States, whenever there are administrations that uh, work together to stem the tide of illegal immigration, it happens. It happens. The thing is well, that... And you know, it, the, it, difference, it, right, yeah. Yeah, the difference right now is that we're not doing anything different on our side of the border. We don't have a removal mechanism to complement that. That's it. And in the last administration, yes, it was, it was a, a, a dual effort. Mexico did their part, and if anything got past them, we did our part here uh, and returned that traffic. That is not part of what's going on right now. So they can only hold on for so long if we're not going to do the same thing. And I haven't heard anything out of this administration because they're disconnected from almost every crisis in the world, including this one. <laughs> well, they're worried about our pronouns. Uh, uh, <laughs> on, let me let me ask you, do you think that there might be a a, a, an eventual burst of uh, of illegal immigration again? That uh, you well, know, that... I yeah, I don't see how there can't be uh, because we've seen it in the past. Every time you see a caravan uh, a short distance later, whether it's the next city uh, past Tapachula, Weeksler, it's going to get you know disband disbanded and dismantled, and then they're going to funnel their way. And the same number hits the U.S. border. I mean, you didn't hear any five thousand caravan. Uh, coming from Mexico, but yet we had almost 5,000 coming here at Eagle Pass almost the entire month. Uh, so they're separated and they get on the trains and what have you, but little of what's going on in Eagle Pass has to do with why those trains are not loaded with migrants headed this way. We know they built a camp in Moncloa that'll hold over a 1,000, so we know there's some there. There's some that are central Mexico. Piedra Negras is flying them as soon as they get a hold of them back into the interior of Mexico. But that's that's just a powder keg. If they are not going back to their home country, they're they're going to be frustrated. And the, the government of Mexico is not going to have enough to sustain that many people as more are coming in through the Guatemala border there in Tapachula. It's just going to, it's a powder keg and it, it'll start to gain some steam. They'll start to riot. We've already heard of one caravan building in the last several days. It's not the huge eight 
10, 12,000, it's 1,500 or so. Uh, and they'll try and block those, and that's manageable about when it starts to get seven, and eight, and 9,000, because whatever city they make it into in Mexico, somebody has to give them food, somebody has to give them shelter, and somebody has to provide uh, medicine. And they're not set up for this. You know, we've got a mechanism that can move 5,000 people a day and get them to New York, to Detroit, to Chicago, to all over the place. They, they lack that. It's very expensive. The, I think the taxpayers are starting to realize it. It's very expensive on them, the medical care and everything else. Mexico doesn't have that. And when it's taken from the community with the resources they have, they get very angry about it. Now, uh, it, these communities, these cities, the mayors of these Mexican cities like in, uh, in Piedras Negras and in Nuevo Laredo and uh, all of these uh, in Tijuana, uh, are they speaking out? I mean, because I remember that under under Trump, when he started the uh, remain in Mexico policy and Mexico started enforcing it, that uh, the mayors started to scream and yell about the people and they were being removed. Uh, is there anything well, like that happening yet? No, because if you'll remember at that time, there was uh, backlogs in all of those border cities like Tijuana, where they were using stadiums and they were near the beach and there was violence in there. Piedra the same thing. They had set up some shelters. Uh, there were fights going on and people were angry. And the city of Piedra was having to fund some of this, the actual money for the shelter. None of those shelters exist right now. The shelter that Piedra has would probably hold 100 people. And you, you can come in for a little rest, but they push you right out. So when these groups come that we see in December, they are not staging. They're getting off the train uh, just south of Piedra and they are marching. 20 kilometers to the border and they hit the river and they hit the river running and whatever impediment is there the border patrol the texas highway patrol army national guard and as much wire as you could shake a stick at they get over it in a short order and they are on our side and they're next to that bridge there's nothing in place right now nor nothing proposed that is going to stop that if it does come back again but it's not impacting these these border mayors in in uh, Piedra Negras and Nuevo Laredo because they're not building there and, and waiting to cross where somebody has to feed them they hit yeah. the river and they're gone yeah. it's hitting those interior cities and sooner or later we'll, we'll see where some of this drive starts to build and that's going to be our clue that they're going to release some of that steam because they have to. They, they cannot continue to let it build. And they realize that we're not going to help either. We're not going to return them to their home countries. So I think Mexico is doing as little as they can to get as much out of us as they can. And then they're going to release the steam. And we're going to see another December. Maybe not that bad. Maybe half as bad, which is horrible. And it may play out in late March. It could be April. But I would be very surprised if they could make this go away through November. And if they do, I hope conservatives realize that that is the question that needs to be asked was why was this not done three years ago? Why has, why has this country endured what it has? And we have just let it go from the federal standpoint and not done anything about it because these states that are pledging to help Texas, they put resources down here. Our highway patrol, they are on the highway and, and there's no telling how many lives they have saved taking these smugglers off the road, getting fentanyl, uh, you name it, it, on and on and on. But they and the Border Patrol and the, these soldiers are not capable of stopping what happened in September and December, and it may be brewing again, and that's my fear. Do you think that um, the election is going to have any impact on this? Do you think that they will release them? If the Democrats lose the White House, they'll release them immediately and let the tsunami come? <laughs> Well, I think we're going to see a whole different dynamic because there will be some desperation to hit this border because that's a gamble. We don't know who's going to be the next president. So they're gambling. If we're going to get a president that is anything like the last one, whose messaging is strong at the beginning and are followed by actions and folks are detained for the purpose of removal and not for the purpose of release, you may have a mad rush begin in June or July in the lead up to the election. We saw some traffic increase you know, before President Trump got in, there was already people deciding that now's the time to go. Uh, so I think we're going to see it regardless. I think that's going to make the pressure worse over there. How Mexico can contain it, I, I don't know. Not without something significant uh, as a return. You got it. Folks, we've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Randy Clark from uh, Breitbart, reporter from Breitbart at the border here in Eagle Pass. Randy, thank you very, very much for being with us. Tell the folks where they can follow you. They can find me at uh, Breitbart.com under our Cartel Chronicle page or on the main page. They can also find me on Twitter, XNow, uh, Randy Clark, at BBTX. You got it, buddy. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio.
Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And uh, we've got our very good friend, uh, former Congressman Francisco Kiko Canseco. Uh, I wanted to get him on because he and I have been chatting a lot. Uh, well, we chat a lot all the time, but we've been chatting a lot about the Hispanic vote in this year, uh, this election year, 2024. And I wanted to get him on to uh, chat with us. Welcome to the show, Kiko. Thank you for taking time to be with us. George, always a pleasure to be with you and your audience. Um, I think I've got a unique perspective of uh, the topic for today. I was born and raised in Laredo. Uh, I know the nature of, uh, of the South Texas population and the Hispanic population uh, that considers themselves American, uh, even though they speak uh, in two different languages and sometimes mix them up, which I know we all, even now, between you and I, we use it, we use half and half, um, <laughs> because that's that's what runs through our minds. But going to the political um, aspects of things and where the vote lies, you know, traditionally, you had people that some of them were humble and some of them were not, and those that are not humble were very sympathetic to the humble. And they felt that the Democrats were the ones that talked the best about the future and the hope for a lot of the Hispanic communities with regards to jobs, with regards to benefits from the government, with regards to a lot of things that they consistently talked to them about and kept them uh, on on the line there for when voting was there. And um, every now and then they throw a plum. But the reality came really, really fast when they saw that President Trump was really delivering and and people like uh, Castro, which one, Joaquin, 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 or the brother? Joaquin is the Congress. Yeah, Joaquin, yeah, was, um, was going around and telling people how great he is, and in reality, he hasn't delivered, he hasn't delivered a you-fill-in-the-blank thing <laughs> to the Hispanic community. And and when, you, when they began to see that, and they began to see that things were different under Trump and 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 things were really showing as opportunities, economic, educational, and uh, jobs-wise, and health-wise, and other things, they started realizing that they wanted to go to the truth-tellers and the truth-doers. So the proof of the pudding is always in the eating, and it has to do with um, what is coming to their table uh, is it lower prices for gasoline and for food at the grocery store? Is it more opportunities by way of jobs uh, and someone really delivering for communities that are going to uh, bring in uh, people of Hispanic heritage, Americans of Hispanic heritage, into the greater fold of the American dream? That's when they started moving away, and you started seeing it with a lot of counties from Brownsville, um, I wouldn't say El Paso, but even so towards El Paso, where you see a lot of people that that are now beginning to open their eyes and realize that this is their heritage and they want a part of it and not just be there as a cookie jar when everybody feels that they're hungry for a cookie and they go get it, in other words, the vote, uh, and the rest of the time they get no attention. So... Uh, that is, I think, the dynamic that we're seeing within Hispanic populations. Uh, the more and more of the realization that they are indeed part of the American um, uh, system, and uh, they want to stay that way. And they've seen it with their children, and they're seeing it with their grandchildren, and they want that to continue. We have seen the American dream, which is... Uh, economic independence, basically, the the, the ability for a, a a people, a family, an individual to be uh, economically independent. Uh, we've seen that slip away with this tremendous inflation, uh, Bidenomics, which uh, the Democrats keep um, uh, denying is happening. However, do you think that that has had an impact on uh, on Hispanics? Well, it's had a strong impact on Hispanics. Um, I would say that. And then also the idea that I've worked hard, let's say, for instance, you have some 
somebody that's living out in in uh, uh, Webb County or Zapata County or uh, uh, some of these other South Texas counties, and they've been there for several generations, and all of a sudden they're seeing this flood of migrants coming in, and they're being given a lot of the tax money that they pay into the system, and it's going to be depleted not just by one or two people, but by hordes of them. And and by that, I don't mean 100,000, but by millions of them that are coming in during a short three-year period. And and they're going to take away the American dream that they fought so hard for, and it's going to change the dynamics of the country that they have accepted as their own. Yeah. And the other issue is the cultural clash that seems to be ignored by a lot of folks. Uh, I have a lot of my friends and relatives, uh, Hispanic relatives and friends, of course, uh, who have a hard time accepting different pronouns <laughs> or being told <laughs> you've got to use this pronoun or that pronoun. I mean, that's just not part of us. <laughs> Your thoughts? Well, yes, absolutely. And, you know, a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. Um, and so they shall be until the end of their lives. Uh, and you don't go around messing with God's creation, period. Um, and, and I think that that it's, it's a cultural clash of a very, very strong nature that uh, has been imposed on our society and imposed upon big businesses uh, for one way or the other that, you know, I can get into, but it's a totally different topic. But big business is now promoting the idea that you're supposed to use different pronouns and you're supposed to recognize as normal that somebody mutilated themselves in order to look like the opposite sex, uh, etc. That is, that is something that is very firmly ingrained in a very traditional uh, type of American called the Hispanic, the American Hispanic. It is, it is something that has been there that brought with them and is generationally uh, something that ju- they just don't abide. And and I think that that's a big turnoff on the issues that are talked about by, uh, by the Democrats. And also the idea that you can kill a baby at any time uh, before they're two years old or before they're one year old. And, and that is anathema to someone who believes in God, who believes in, in the uh, the idea that you've got a human soul uh, that has been created and is being carried uh, by a mother that you can you can kill it and it's not murder. It's it's really anathema to the um, to the idea of people of the Hispanic descent. We've got we've got a real interesting dynamic that is happening in 2024. You have a Hispanic population that has grown. Uh, I mean, Americans of Hispanic descent that has grown tremendously and has grown more American, while at the same time you've got a Democratic Party that has moved further and further to the left. Um, What are your final thoughts on this? I enjoyed America when the only difference between a Democrat and a Republican was the side of the head where they parted their hair. They had any. I think those days have been gone for quite some time, um, and and I think that it's gotten worse. I think that they uh, they pay more attention to a very very vocal far left um, rhetoric, and they feel that they can win election by that. Why? Because they've got the majority of the media and the colleges and universities on their side. Uh, for no other reason. And what they're really doing is that they're turning off the majority of the American population uh, when they should be talking about dinner table and breakfast table issues, about families, about making a living, about putting food on the table, about having work uh, for everyone that they can be gainfully employed uh, rather than being cared for by a mommy state. And, and I think that, that that, in and of itself, turns off a lot of people. 
uh, not just Hispanics, but it's turning off a lot of Americans, whether Asian or Hispanic or African American or whatever. We're all Americans, and it's turning them off because those those issues uh, go to the very very root of who we are as Americans as human beings. You got it, buddy. I want to thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Folks, we've been speaking with our good friend, uh, former Congressman Francisco Kiko Canseco, a good buddy of mine. Uh, and uh, we really, really thank you for taking time to be with us and, and, and sharing these uh, insights with us, Kiko. Thank you, George, and, and thank you for your listening audience. And I wish you all the best. And we can still say Happy New Year for another day. <laughs> we can. Because after, after tomorrow, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one. Folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. The Federation for American Immigration Reform, known as FAIR, fights to restore common-sense border controls and immigration policies that work for America and its future. America's immigration system and border controls have been decimated by Washington politicians and special interests, undermining the interests and security of the American people. FAIR mobilizes grassroots activists to make sure the voices of the American people are heard in Washington. Find out more about FAIR and what we do by going to FAIRUS.org. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of Texas. And we've got uh, our good friend, Mark Morgan, former commissioner for uh, Customs and Border Protection uh, under President Trump. Wanted to get him on to uh, chat about some articles that have popped up, including a letter, a very interesting letter, as well as to give us an update of what is going on with the uh, Mallorca impeachment. Mark, thank you for taking time to be with us. George, as always, thanks for having me. All right, so tell us. Let's start with uh, this article and uh, letter and all sorts of things that are that are going on regarding what is happening at the border. Yeah, George, look, I really appreciate you bringing this up. Uh, so this is really um, somewhat uh, unprecedented where you had 10 former top level senior executives in the FBI uh, with combined over 200 years of both law enforcement and national security experience got together and actually put their names on a letter uh, that was sent to Congress. And now it has become uh, public. And the goal behind this was really to shed light on what has become a, a specific, credible NASA security risk with respect to the chaos and lawlessness at our borders. But the letter emphasizes the fact that the past 36 months, we've had over 8.9 million encounters, total encounters at our borders. And 65% of those, George, have been single adults. That's about 5.9 million single adults have come to our borders. And the overwhelming majority of those are male single adults of military age. The, the letter also points out and emphasizes that in the past 36 months, Border Patrol has encountered an unprecedented number. I think it's in excess of 360 illegal aliens on the FBI's terror screen database, that they've apprehended tens of thousands of special interest aliens that come from countries that we know harbor, facilitate, and sponsor terrorism, like countries of Yemen, Syria, Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, not to mention uh, countries that pose a risk to us globally, like China and Russia. Look, the, the the goal of this is we have to raise attention and awareness to the truth, reality, and fact that's going on. It's not a matter of if and when a national security threat comes to our border, George. The issue is it's already here. And the last thing I'll say, think about this. All the, the data I just gave you, here's the number that should be shocking to all of us. In the past 36 months, 1.8 million known Godaways. Again, it's not if or when. The threat it's already here. That's incredible. You know, we uh, the interviews that we have been doing at the uh, Migrant Center here in San Antonio, we have repeatedly uh, talked to young men. And, uh, you know, we've been very, very blunt with them, asking them uh, what they're here for, why they're here, why so many young men coming. Um, and, you know, they always give us 
either a strange look and walk away, or they will uh, kind of giggle and say, well, we're just here to work. Right. Uh, it is right. very, very disturbing to see what is happening. That's exactly right, George. And think about this. Just on the Godaways alone, 1.8 million known. When you include the unknown, it's well in excess of 2 million. There's no country on the face of the planet that could sustain that level of threat. I mean, when I talk about what we've apprehended compared to that's what's got away, there's not anyone. If you're if you're halfway alive and paying attention and just remotely intellectually honest, you cannot say that our borders are secure, and you cannot say that that's not a national security risk. And and to to your point, to the, even those we're apprehending, and this administration says, oh, we we probably vet them before they release. That's that's BS. It's a lie. And I'll give you just one quick example. Let's say we get a single adult male of military age from Lebanon, and we're going to ask him, hey, wait, wait, before we release you, we just want to make sure. Are you a member of Hezbollah? <laughs> right? Right? And do, do you think that we have diplomatic relationships with Lebanon, that the Lebanese government government is quickly responding to us when we ask them, hey, we just have somebody that illegally entered our border. Can you confirm whether he's a member of Hezbollah or not? Of course, that's absurd. That's not happening. But yet the reality is, that is happening every single day at our border, and we're releasing those individuals in the United States without any ability to actually thoroughly vet anything about them from their home country. You got it. And another thing that's very, very disturbing is um, the the characteristics, the personalities that we see in these individuals. We used to see a lot of little humble, a lot of humble people coming across uh, about two years ago, but now. These young men that are coming, I mean, besides the fact that they're in good shape, they are also, uh, some of them have tattoos, some of them walk around looking like thugs, and that's the, the only way I can describe it. They are not uh, angelic children, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, George, again, another great point. So in this, so we just talked about the national security threat. And, and let, me, let me skip over real quick to the counterintelligence, uh, to counterintelligence threat. In the same 36 months, we've encountered over 30,000 Chinese nationals. The overwhelming majority are men, single military age. Significant counterintelligence uh, counter threat there. Now, let's go back to what you just said. In the same 36 months, CBP has encountered over 90,000 criminals. 90,000 criminals, right? Oh. And that includes hundreds of murderers, uh, 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 those convicted of aggravated assault, uh, uh, pedophilia, uh, rape. Um, the, the list goes gang members. Uh, the, the list goes on, including MS-13. That's who we've apprehended. I'm going to go back to the 1.8 million known Godaways. The reality is that countless individuals, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, have entered their, our country undetected. And to your point is that we have individuals that are tatted up, and, and, and yet we ask them, like, let's say, for example, they're from Cuba. Do you think that Cuba is actually giving us biographical data on individuals <laughs> from Cuba about their criminal background? Of course not. But yet we're releasing those individuals into our country every single day day with no ability to actually be able to verify who they actually say they are or verify what their criminal background and connection is with in respect to their home country. Yep. The, you know, we see them we see them wandering around freely on the street. Um, we don't I, I have no idea if they're moving on to someplace else or if they're or if they become uh, uh, permanent here in San Antonio, but it's really, really disturbing. I mean, between these military age young men coming from uh, from countries that are not our friend to these criminals. I mean, we're not Five, getting George, the crime of the crime. And 36 months, again, right now, overall, the past three years, 65% of those coming to our borders are single adults. 5.9 million single adults from 180 different countries. Many countries we know are either hostile to our nation and or we know sponsor, harbor, or facilitate terrorism. And in the cases of Cuba, we know are intentionally allowing criminals to leave their country to illegally enter ours. That's the truth. But yet this administration, especially Secretary Mayorkas, continues to unabashedly lie to Congress and lie to the American people yep. and has audacity to say that our borders are secure. He's just a blatant liar, George. It's incredible. So bringing up, uh, bringing up uh, Mayorkas, what is going on with the impeachment? 
Yeah, so it's actually right now, uh, uh, Chairman uh, Mark Green, the House Homeland Security Committee, today, right now, as we're speaking, uh, they're going to vote on impeaching Secretary Mayorkas. And this is so, there are a couple of important elements here. First of all, this is not about settling political scores or or about policy differences. That's not what this is about. This is about a, a, a man who is a secretary of one of the largest departments in our federal government, a man who from day one, abdicated his oath, abused his authority. He has, he's lied to the American people. He's lied to Congress again and again. He is in, he's refused to enforce the law or the Constitution. He's violated the law. In some cases, he's rewritten the law to align with what he thinks the law should be. <laughs> and as a result, he, he has literally been the chief architect of the worst border security crisis in our lifetime, jeopardizing every aspect of our nation's safety and national security. This is exactly why our forefathers included an impeachment clause for public officials to hold them accountable for someone that lies, violates the law and the Constitution, and has abdicated his oath and has resulted in chaos and lawless whilst jeopardizing our nation's safety and national security. Do you think that that uh, this will move forward at all? I mean, we 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 have heard on the on the Senate side about talking about the um, the bill that they want to propose, which is just insane. Uh, is there the will on the House side to proceed in impeaching um, uh, Mayorkas? Uh, look, it's clear uh, with the Democratic-led Senate, they've already signaled that there will not be a support for this. But here's what I'll submit, is that the American people watching right now, they should remember this. So I, 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 I'm anticipating and I'm hoping that, that the House will actually impeach him. Then they'll go over Senate for, quote, the trial. And, of course, again, it's led by Democrats, so they're, they're not going to push this forward. I hope the American people remember that in November of this year because this is exactly what we expect our leaders to do on a bipartisan manner is hold those public officials accountable who intentionally make our country less safe, intentionally lie to the American people, lie to Congress, and, and abdicated their oath. But yet, we know that's not going to happen. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, because the House side of the chamber is doing exactly what the American people need them to do, and that's attempt to hold Secretary Mayorkas accountable for his atrocities that he's committed against this country. So regardless of what the, 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 the Democrats do in the Senate, I'm fully behind what the Republicans led by uh, Republican Mark Green is doing right now with respect to impeaching Secretary Mayorkas. You got it, buddy. Mark, thank you very much, as usual, for te- for taking time to be with us. Folks, we've been uh, speaking with our good friend um, Mark Morgan, former commissioner for Com- Customs and Border Protection uh, in uh, under Trump. Mark, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us, as usual. You bet. Thanks, George. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got uh, my very good friend, Mr. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies. He is a regular on our show, my friends, because he's always got some hot topics to talk about. Uh, most recently, he's written some articles about uh, Biden taking a bribe, or bribing rather, Biden bribing Mexico to control the border, which doesn't surprise us, um, and also about the UN involvement. So, Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us, buddy. Sure, good to be here as always. Um, tell us about uh, this, these uh, articles, these investigations that you've done. First of all, let's start uh, with the UN involvement in, in the migration issue and the illegal alien situation that we've got our border crisis. Sure. Well, uh, that topic of the United Nations involvement in the mass migration crisis, the historic one now in its fourth straight year, with um, five and a half million people in the country, at least. Um, the UN's uh, complicity and involvement in supporting that mass migration on the routes through Latin America, uh, that's been an issue for uh, especially Republicans uh, in the House and a few even in the Senate, um, you know, because it's taxpayer, U.S. taxpayer money funding a border crisis for us and there's there's never really been a, a lot of great information or transparency about that support 
but now there is a public document online that is the United Nations budget uh, and assessment for 2024. And what they're going to do is um, they're proposing $1.5 billion to assist uh, 3 million illegal immigrants crossing through Latin America in 15 different countries and some in the Caribbean. $1.5 billion and uh, broken down about $327 million of that is in cash, you know, debit cards, uh, money in envelopes just handed out to uh, people that, that uh, they regard as vulnerable. Probably 624,000 immigrants will get the cash uh, and then hundreds of millions more for uh, what they call humanitarian transportation meaning they're picking up the bus fare and you know long distance taxis and things like that to to so that people can cross borders illegally the document knows it says that they understand that most of these people are illegally present in the different countries that they had illegally crossed borders uh, without authorization in those countries and they they acknowledge knowing that the people that they're aiding are going to cross the U.S. southern border illegally, uh, but they don't care. And a lot of the money is going to food, shelter, uh, with something they call protection. Uh, it's very well established and entrenched system uh, all the way to the southern cone of South America, all over South America through Central America, but especially concentrated in Colombia, Ecuador, and Panama because that's the Darien Gap. That's where people are wow. uh, moving through. 450,000 last year. Uh, transportation, humanitarian transportation would go a long way right about there. So that's, that's the piece I have up at cis.org. I also wrote a derivative of that for the New York Post. They gave it yesterday a, a big, uh, its own page with my photos uh, because I've been reporting on this for quite a while. I have immigrants show me their debit cards yes, and tell me how much is on them. And I've got lots of photos of the UN handing those out and they've got these system of waste stations all along the routes. This is the sort of thing that really uh, matters to uh, a lot of border security hawks um, you know nobody else really pays any attention to this UN uh, issue that that you know we're paying them to uh, you know pour over our borders in an, in an uncontrolled manner that is really really disturbing it really really is disturbing that the UN and and, and the UN how much money does it get from the American taxpayer Billions. So, I mean, we're the so U.S. government we're, we're is the it. UN's primary. This. Yeah, the U.S. the United States is the UN's primary donor. Wow! And so we're basically funding our own invasion. Incredible and very very disturbing. All right, let's move to another disturbing situation that you've reported on, and that wait, is, wait, George, oh, before 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 we move on, I just want to point out that that the UN is not doing this on its own. They have 248 NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations. These are international uh, organizations. They're US-based and they're country-based. Uh, and there's 15 different UN organizations that are involved in aiding and abetting this traffic. I just wanted to point that out. And my CIS.org version of this which you can find under my name at cis.org provides a link to the names of all of them they're all listed there with the amount of money they get wow and it's millions and millions of dollars for most of them tell the folks right, once, sorry, once again once again where, where can they find that information cis.org it's the top blog today mm -hmm. it'll still be up on our front page uh for probably a week and uh, you can you can find it under my name. If you look for my name, you'll see it under there. You got it. All right, let's move to the next uh, to the next issue, 
or article that you've written, and that is that Biden has bribed Mexico to control the border. Tell us about that. Well, the word bribery isn't one that I would use. The uh, New York Post, you know, they're a tabloid. They use that. But in, in diplomacy, uh, you know, security and humanitarian aid, uh, I guess, could be called a, a bribe. But, you know, that's just the way it is in diplomacy. All right. So we won't use we don't that really, word. <laughs> you're right. We don't really know what uh, transpired exactly, but... We do know everybody remembers that in, you know, October, November, December, the border was under extraordinary uh, chaos. Uh, 10,000, 12,000, even 14,000 apprehensions a day. People were turning themselves in 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 the biggest numbers ever, the, the latest, newest, biggest breaking numbers ever um, in those months. But it's all quiet down there now. Nobody's coming across. It all of a sudden got really quiet. And this very neatly coincides with a December 22nd diplomatic trip by the president to Mexico City to meet with Lopez Obrador. And uh, a December 27th trip by Blinken, the Secretary of State, and Alejandro Mayorkas, the uh, head of DHS. They... They met, and then something transpired. We don't know what, but Mexico went to, uh, ordered its military to round up migrants, thousands of them on the northern border, and put them on buses and drive them to southern Mexico and um, fly them to southern Mexico. So Eagle Pass was one of the hottest spots coming in from Piedras Negras, everybody was coming in from Piedras. Well, they, they put 10 buses a day down from Piedras down to Tapachula and, you know, flight after flight after flight out of there. And now nobody's in Piedras crossing into Eagle Pass. And they did this from Tijuana to Matamoras. Wow. Uh, and they're blocking them up down there making them uh, apply for asylum or some sort of special card that's going to take months and months. And um, they shut down access for the first time in the Biden administration since this whole thing started, and the Obrador administration uh, blocked off access to the freight trains down there, which had been bringing hundreds of thousands to our border, uh, unguarded, unimpeded, all the way. And those are now blocked. You can't get on the trains very easily, or if you do, you're going to get rousted at some point. Wow. So they shut down those trains, and they put roadblocks all around Tapachula. They've been flying people to Via Hermosa and roadblocks all around that, uh, creating kind of a Gaza Strip down there. Now, um, the the net result of, the, of all that, oh, and they, they also have been bulldozing migrant camps and emptying them out and bulldozing them up there on the north indicating that this looks like it's going to be in place for a while, whatever they're doing. Um, so the numbers have dropped from ten and 12,000 crossing to five and 6,000 a day crossing, which is still just massive. Even those reduced numbers are just like out of all historic experience. Um, so don't, don't think that it's still not a crisis, but it's not the wild, out-of-control crisis. So uh, this has just been going on for a few weeks. And, and what do you what uh, do you think this the, this is due to? Well, Mexico uh, is asking for twenty billion dollars in root causes aid. So anytime somebody says we need money for root to address the root causes of immigration, hold on to your wallet. Uh, that's usually a, a code for give us cash. Yeah. But we don't know if cash actually changed hands. Uh, maybe it's the promise of cash. If you show us what you could do, then maybe we'll give you $20 billion, right? Yeah. Uh, for Obrador. But for the Biden administration, I think it's obvious. The polls are showing that the American public, even in all Democratic precincts, absolutely hate this thing, this mass migration crisis. And in an election year, like, like we're in now, where, you know, it could be a very, very uh, 
thin margin of win-loss on the election, uh, this could this issue could be the swing issue. Yeah. So I think the Biden administration just wants to get all of that traffic out from under Fox News drones. <laughs> That's really what it is. Yeah. It's nothing more than that. They're, the and I think are... that whatever Mexico's interest is, you know, they, they've got to have been. Maybe they're going to get it paid off, or they're going to get exactly. some other sort of payoff. We just don't know what it is. They're not, they're not doing it. They're not doing that out of the kindness of their heart. I'm sure. We need to um, to to let you go. But again, tell the folks where they can. Uh, these two articles, folks, are very very uh, disturbing, but ex- but excellent. Uh, Todd does an excellent uh, job of uh, research and and reporting. And these two articles, my friends, really really are very very um, I- intense tell the folks once again where they can where they can uh, find these articles yeah cis.org under my name or toddbensman.com uh, that's the best place and you can follow me at Benzman Todd at X uh, I also have an account at getter and truth true social you got it once again my friends we've been speaking with our good friend mr. Todd Benzman. Uh, with the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd, keep up the good work and keep us informed, buddy. Thank you. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Folks, once again, thank you for joining us today on this Saturday, February the 3rd, 2024. I want to thank our sponsor, Feder- FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. You can go to fairus.org uh, and read all about them. I want to thank them for supporting us. And I also want to thank our guests today, Randy Clark from Breitbart, uh, former Congressman Kiko Canseco, and uh, Mark Morgan, former uh, Trump uh, Commissioner for Customs and Border Protection, and my very good friend, Mr. Todd Benzman with the Center for Immigration Studies, my friends. Thank you very much for joining them, for joining us today. I hope that you will continue to join us and listen to our program. Tell our tell your friends all about our program. Uh, if you miss the program, please go to KLUP nine nine thirty a.m. or to net and you can hear the program. You can uh, hear it at your leisure. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next week. We'll have another great show for you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. <laughs> 